Well, good morning. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship, and we're so glad you're with us this morning. We are adding another installment to this series. It's all about relationships, and today we're talking about mending broken relationships. In fact, inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline this morning of where I'm headed. The title of my message is exactly that, Mending Broken Relationships. And so this is an important uh, topic for us to discuss. To discuss today, because you'll see the first reference there is from Ecclesiastes 7.20. Um, and by the way, if you need a pen, just raise your hand. One of our ushers will be glad to uh, bring one to you so you can take some notes as we go along. But this reference from Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. I think we can all agree with that, that not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Since we're all sinners, that impacts relationships. Because if I'm a sinner, if I, if I don't always do what's right, that means that sometimes I'm going to do what's wrong. If I'm going to do what's wrong, then either I'm going to hurt you, or you're going to hurt me, or we're both going to hurt each other. Let me say that again. I mean, if, if there's not a single person on earth who always does what's right, never does what's wrong, never sins, then we've all sinned. And if we sin, that's going to impact relationships. Sometimes I'm going to hurt you, sometimes you're going to hurt me, and sometimes it's a 50-50 deal. We both go at it. And so this morning, I want to talk with you about mending broken relationships. We're going to talk about making amends to others when we're wrong and forgiving others when they hurt us. Let me have a word of prayer, and we'll jump right in. Lord, I thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And Lord, uh, you've given us lots of wonderful instruction when it comes to mending broken relationships. I pray that you'll speak, you'll move me out of the way, and teach us a few things about making things right when we're hurt or when we've hurt others. I pray these things in the name of Jesus, the one who came to make us all right with you for all time. In his strong name we pray, amen. Point A on your outline. I'm going to start with us. If we have hurt others, then we need to make amends. I must make amends to those I have hurt. And some of you are going, yeah, but John, other people have hurt me. Well, that's point B. Okay, we're going to get to that. But right now I want to talk about, hey, I need to make amends when I have hurt others. Is this a big deal to God? Well, Jesus thought it was a really big deal. When he was giving the Sermon on the Mount, here's what he said. He said, if you're presenting a sacrifice at an altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Look, God is our Heavenly Father, and he wants us to get along with each other. Jesus also said the greatest commandment is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, The second is like it, love your neighbors yourself. They're related. We're created in the image of God. And God doesn't want us to come and worship him if we know that somebody else has something against us and we can go and make that right. He said, hey, look, just leave leave everything here. Go make it right and then come worship me. I I was asked not that long ago by somebody, it's like, well, why is that such a big deal? And I told him, well, look, I'm a dad. I have sons, three of them, and if I knew that two of them were at odds with each other and wouldn't apologize to each other and wouldn't make, th- wouldn't make amends for the things they'd said or done, and they came to me and said, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? I'd tell them, well, here's what I want for Christmas. I want you to make amends with each other and get things right so we can have Christmas together without a fight. Does that make sense to everyone? Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, somebody, somebody made a lot of sense. All right. I mean, I don't need another necktie. I don't need more cologne. What I'd like is for everybody to get along. Now, if I know that as an earthly father, how much more so does our heavenly father know that? And so if I've done something wrong to somebody, it's my job to apologize and to make amends. 
Now, I want to give you four suggestions on making amends, and these are just things that have helped me. This is not exhaustive. There are many things more I'm sure you could add, but here are four things that I've found helpful through the years. First of all, you and I can start by making a list of people that we have hurt, that I have hurt, and what I've said or done to hurt them. For instance, an unpaid debt or a broken promise, harsh words, unfaithfulness, manipulation, lies, neglect, stealing. I mean, any of those things could go there. In fact, in your bulletin, we've even provided you with a little blue sheet of paper. And if you take that out and look at it for just a second. Two halves to it, two points in this message. On the left-hand side, these are people that I have hurt. And you and I, before the time the service is over, we'll give you time in a few minutes. We want you to actually take some time of reflection and ask God to show you, is there someone you need to apologize to? Someone that you've hurt. And I don't expect that most of us would have a long list. In fact, if we're walking right with the Lord, we keep a short list. We want to keep this as short as possible. And anytime God brings out something we need to do that we need to get corrected, then it's time to make that a lot shorter and to get things taken care of. But it's important that we sit down with a pen and paper and actually be specific about this. Hey, these are some things that I've done. Because there's not a person on earth who always does what's right and never sins. There's not one. There's no one in here who's never ever li- who's lived their lives perfectly and flawlessly and never hurt anybody else by careless actions or failing to come through on something you promised. There's not a person here. And so if we're honest with ourselves, all of us probably have somebody that we could make an apology to. Secondly, we need to pray for wisdom and seek counsel as to how and when and where to apologize to people on this list. It's important to seek counsel. My goodness, um, Solomon uh, described, about, described this in Proverbs eighteen nineteen. why this is so important. He said, it's harder to make amends with an offended friend than to capture a fortified city. It's harder to make uh, amends with a, an offended friend than to capture a fortified city. It sure is, because you approach that person that you had lied to. You approach that person that you manipulated to get the promotion ahead of them. You approach the person whom you borrowed something and never brought it back. As soon as they see you coming, shields up. What are, you, what are you doing? What do you want now? Now what? It's hard to make amends. And you and I would do well if we've transgressed and hurt someone to at least bounce it off another person before we just try to make an apology that may be ill-timed or ill-advised. Sometimes we can make things worse if we say something that doesn't need to be said or we rush things when, before people are ready to give us an audience. Plans succeed through good counsel Don't go to war without wise advice. Solomon also wrote that proverb. You go, well, I'm not going to war. I'm just making making amends. Well, you might be in a battle if you handle it poorly. You might be, and you could stir up a big mess. So make sure if you have a trusted friend or or if you need to, go see a counselor or sit down with uh, one of us at the church and say, hey, I'm feeling a need to do this. What What kind of advice would you give me? Because otherwise we can say things that can stir things up even worse than they were. That brings us to the third point. We need to apologize humbly, sincerely, and without excuses or justifications. Again, from the Proverbs. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. If I just go in there and stumble in and give some half-hearted, crazy apology, I can wound people even deeper. They feel like I stuck a knife in their back, and now they feel like I'm twisting it with some kind of crazy, unthought-out apology. We all know what a bad apology sounds like. 
Sounds something like this. I'm sorry you're so sensitive about things. Wow. You know, I apologized. Yeah, right. That's your apology? Well, you know I was right. I wouldn't have done it if you hadn't made me so mad. Man, I just feel the love. I feel restored with you already. When our kids were small, we, you know, they'd get in a fight or something, take a toy that somebody else was playing with, and you make them apologize, apologize to your brother. I'm sorry. Say, it's okay. It's okay. And, you know, there was just so much love in the house. And we all laugh at that, but then we do the same kind of junk at work. We realize we have to apologize so we can get the project done. Hey, look, look, I'm sorry I did that, okay? Can we just move on with the project? Well, maybe we do, but you can apologize better than that. I mean, are you apologizing just to get something out of the way? Are you trying to make amends? If not, just keep it. You're just going to make things worse. Reckless words pierce like a sword. Get counsel and say, hey, how could I make this a genuine apology? Well, are you sorry? No. Well, that would be a good place to start. And a lot of times people come to me and they go, I'm at odds with somebody. I know I need to apologize, but I don't want to apologize. It's like, okay, well, let's start with you first. And then we can get a lot of traction going. And finally, a fourth, a fourth suggestion here. These are just suggestions. It would be important that you and I make restitution whenever possible. Make restitution. If you were with us during our series that we did on Luke, um, it was, we studied, spent a whole Sunday talking about the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And at the time of Jesus, that wasn't just somebody who worked for the IRS. A tax collector was a person who collected duties and levies uh, for the Roman government. They were occupying Palestine. And so the Jewish population looked at anybody who did that for the Roman occupiers as traitors. Not only that, but the Romans didn't pay these tax collectors. They said, you, you collect our taxes for us, add on top of it whatever, think, whatever you think you can get away with. And so they would add on these exorbitant taxes of their own and become rich off their fellow countrymen. And so these tax collectors were thieves, known as thieves and traitors, the scum of the earth. And yet Jesus went to the house of such a man. And this man had invited all his friends who were just like him. And people were shocked that Jesus, this holy man, would even walk into this guy's house. But Jesus came to seek and save lost people. And so after he had been there a little while, Zacchaeus' heart changed. In fact, after dinner, when Jesus came to see him, here's what happened. This is from Luke 19.8. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'll give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much, which would have impoverished him. And he didn't care. He wanted to be right with God, and he wanted to be right with his fellow man. How much is a good night's sleep worth? And some of us carry around all sorts of worries and fears. We know we need to make an apology, but our pride won't allow us. Or we know we need to make an apology, but we're not really ready to make amends because we're afraid, well, if I apologize, they're going to ask me to pay the money back. Right. Do it. Make amends. And if possible, make restitution. What's the rule of thumb? Well, it's the golden rule. Do to others as you'd have them do to you. Do to others as you'd have them do to you. If I borrow, if you, um, you know, if somebody comes and borrows my lawnmower and it breaks while they're using it, I'd like them to fix it before they bring it back. I really don't want it coming back in spare parts. I want it put back together and working. If you've done that to someone else, go get it fixed or get them a new one. 
Make restitution if possible. A fella a few years ago came and apologized to me about spreading some rumors about me and saying some things about me that just weren't true. I know this. I mean, I know he did this because he came and told me. But he really came just to get it off his chest. He kind of plunked down in my office one day and just said, hey, I had helped him move and uh, he hadn't prepared for the move and other things. His wife had gone ahead of him to another city and uh, the city where they were moving to. And so he and I were left there. Some other people he'd invited to help him or had asked to help him didn't show up. So it was just the two of us. And, and he had to get out by five that afternoon. And so by the time we were moving out, by the time it got to late in the afternoon, we were just throwing anything we could in any kind of box and throwing it on his U-Haul. Well, he got to the place where he was going and he and his wife were unpacking this thing and she was furious. She couldn't find anything because it was all scrambled up in whatever box. Well, he did the manly thing and blamed it all on me. And I know that because he came and told me. And he said, yeah, she was telling you and she just kind of ran you down to a whole bunch of people. I just came by to let you know. Wow, that helps. Thank you. I mean, why are you telling me this? He said, well, it's been on my conscience for a while and I want to get my conscience clear. And I said, well, I'm glad you got your conscience clear, but now you've loaded mine up because now I'm upset with you. And he said, well, how would you have wanted me to handle it? Well, instead of coming and telling me about the things you said about me to other people I don't even know who all it went to, why don't you go to them and tell them what you did was wrong? Make amends. Make restitution. Don't just unburden your conscience. I'm glad you feel better. Now I feel terrible. What was the goal here? And if the goal is to mend a broken relationship, I don't need to make excuses. I don't need to make justifications. I don't need to blame anybody else. I need to make an apology, and I need to do it this way. It's being specific down there. There's a note for you in your outline. I'm sorry, I blank, and then you can fill in the blank. I don't have the right answer for this one. You can go back to point one on that. I broke a promise. I used harsh words. I neglected you. I lied, whatever it would be. I was wrong. Please forgive me. What can I do to make this right? Now, as I said, before you leave today, we're going to give you some time to spend just you and the Lord and ask the Lord if somebody you need to do something like that with today. Now, remember, we all started and we all nodded in agreement when I read Ecclesiastes 7.20, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. So not a single person in this room has gone through your whole life and never, ever hurt anyone else. Not a single one. Don't leave her to go, boy, I'm glad he straightened out everybody else. Mm-mm. This is for me. This is for you. Now, I want to move on to the other side of the sheet. Some of you are going, yeah, but there's other people who've hurt me. That's true. Because not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Sometimes I sin. Sometimes others sin. Sometimes we both do. And by the way, one of the reasons I want you to write it on the same sheet is sometimes a person's name appears on both sides. I've hurt them, and they've hurt me. It escalated. That's the way it works. Often. Too often, I'm afraid. So... If you and I are going to forgive, if people have hurt us, then we need to learn to forgive them. Point B, I must forgive those who've hurt me. Was this big deal to Jesus? Yes. Just like the first thing was, uh, the first point was to make amends. Don't come and worship me if you're not willing to make amends with people you've offended. Jesus also said, hey, you're going to need to learn to forgive people who've offended you. He told a story about this in Matthew 18. Therefore, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. 
In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I'll pay it all. And then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. If you circle, forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars and he grabbed him by the throat. He demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I'll pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset, and they went to the king, and they told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man whom he had forgiven. And he said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he'd paid his entire debt. And Jesus said, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. At another place in Matthew's gospel, he quotes Jesus. This is right after Jesus has taught the disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer. You know the prayer that contains the line, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Well, Jesus has a little comment after that prayer. He said, oh, by the way, if you forgive those who sin against you, then your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Mm. This is a big deal to Jesus. Remember where we started again. Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. In fact, I'm walking testimony that, man, never sins. I've sinned so many times in my life. Can you imagine if you added up every evil thought, every careless word, Every opportunity to do good that you passed up, either because you, were, you weren't observant and just missed it, or you were lazy, or you were stubborn, or you just didn't care, and you were being selfish. Can you imagine if all of our sins were added up in one, on one page, if they were all recorded on one sheet? The list would be forever. And we have crosses here on either side of the room, and they're here to demonstrate the fact, to remind us, that Jesus died on a cross. He died on a cross to pay the sins for you and me because we're all sinners, all of us. And he said, look, I'll die on the cross for your sins. I'll die the penalty for every careless word, for every wicked deed, every opportunity you had to do good and you passed it up. I'll die for all that. I'll pay the penalty. Here's what I ask though. When other people sin against you, forgive them the same way I forgave you. Not a chance. Lord, you forgive me, but I will never forgive my brother. I will never forgive my ex-wife. I will never forgive my kids. Not for what they did to me. Watch out. Lord, I want you to forgive me for millions of dollars worth of sins. But I will not forgive people who've forgiven me for, in perspective, much less of an offense against me because that hurt me. The Lord knows. He says, I know. And your sins hurt me. They're what nailed Jesus to the cross. I understand pain. So there are four suggestions for forgiving others. This is serious business to Jesus. Serious enough that he'd die for it. 
First of all, you and I would do well to make a list, the blue sheet of paper again, of people who've hurt us. One side, people we've hurt. The other side, people who've hurt us. It does us good to do, see both side by side <coughs> and what they did. Secondly, then, once we've made the list, we need to let go of anger and bitterness toward the people on the list. To let go. In that story, we talked about how the, the king forgave the debt of the man who owed him money, of the servant who owed him money. Businesses still do that. That's a legal term. If your company or you provide $1,000 worth of goods and services to someone and they don't pay, you can send them bills and invoices, collection notices. You can even refer it to a collection agency. And you can take them to court if you need to. But there will come a time when the cost, the amount of time involved and the amount of money involved to collect on that $1,000 is just not worth it. And so a company may decide after a certain amount of time, if somebody's just not going to pay, they decide to just let it go. They decide to forgive the debt. Doesn't mean the person didn't owe the money. Doesn't mean that for them not paying was the right thing to do. You're not saying any of that. What you're saying is, I'm just going to stop trying to collect on this anymore because it's costing me more than it's worth. Now remember that. In Ephesians 4.31, Paul says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Hebrews 12.15, Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. If you and I hold a grudge and we refuse to let go, and we say, I'm going to hang on to this and not forgive someone, it's very, that's like the old statement that says, you know, holding a grudge is like drinking a little poison every day, hoping the other person gets sick and dies. And it's exactly the way it works. Here, it's a beautiful day, and there's great opportunities in front of me, and I can't enjoy any of it. Why not? Because something somebody did to me five years ago. So even though it's a beautiful, great day, I'm going to drag all the bitterness of yesterday into this day and make it miserable too. I mean, you hear me talk about worry a lot, and it's the same thing on the other side. Here I got a great day in front of me, and I can't enjoy it because I'm so worried about all the bad things that might happen tomorrow. So I'm going to borrow a cup of misery from tomorrow or a cup of bitterness from yesterday, and I'm going to make every day miserable for me and everybody around me. And you know what? The devil doesn't care if he gets you in the ditch on the left or on the right. He just wants you to make a mess of today every day and not even be able to listen to what God's telling you today. And so a key part of forgiveness is letting go and saying, I'm not going to drag all that bitterness from five months ago or from five years ago into today and ruin it as well. God doesn't want us to live that way. Bitterness will poison you. Poison me. And that brings us to the third point. Not only do we need to let go... We need to let God. So John, you could be saying, well, John, so, so you think I should just let go of this and pretend it never happened? No. In fact, the scripture says this, let God handle it. You let go of trying to collect things and say, God, you take care of it. If there's any score that needs to be settled, God, you settle the score. Second Thessalonians 1, 6 says, God is just. He'll pay back trouble to those who trouble you. I mean, this is in the Bible. God says, I'll be the one who collects on this. You don't need to ruin every day. I'm a just God. I understand how things work. Romans 12, verse 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. 
For it is written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay. If you'd circle the words, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him some to drink. And in doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. God says, look, I'll settle the score with anybody who deserves it. You just let go. Let me handle it. And this can revolutionize our lives. Well, God, if I let go of this, how do I know that those people ever, that the score will ever be settled? I don't think they even realize how bad they hurt me. Well, let the Lord bring them to that realization. You've been bitter for six years. How well has it worked out now with you working at it day and night? Well, I don't know. I don't think it's done any good at all. It's just made me sick. Right. So why don't you, you let me handle it? Let's go on with today and tomorrow. I'll settle the score. I'm just. I'm God. I'll bring him around. This is an act of faith by you and me. In fact, my last suggestion, suggestion number four, is this, is that we keep surrendering it. Because sometimes, even when we surrender stuff, we're tempted to pick it back up again. Lord, I surrendered this to you yesterday. I know you're going to take care of it, but you haven't taken care of it yet, and it's been 23 hours and 12 minutes, so I want to pick it back up. Don't do that. Peter once asked Jesus, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, Jesus replied, 70 times seven. That may not be 490 separate offenses. It may be one offense that you had to let go of 300 times. I mean, the incident in my life that brings most of this home to bear that I can relate to the most and these suggestions that ties all these suggestions together on forgiveness happened to me while I was in college. Dating a, a young woman who I was deeply in love with, and I thought she was deeply in love with me until she just dropped me like a hot rock and fell for somebody else. And the way she did it was even the most hurtful about it was she just came and told me one day that she was done with me and she'd moved on and I better get used to it. And she didn't even say it that nicely. And I was crushed. She handled it so poorly that her mother came to apologize to me on her behalf. Her dad came to apologize to me on her behalf. And her brother came to apologize to me on her behalf. I mean, she was a hard-hearted Hannah, okay? This was bad. And I was devastated. And she was a Christian girl, and I was a Christian guy. And I, you know, and I wish I could tell you because I was a Christian, I had obeyed all these things. I'd let go and let God handle it. But I did not. I had anticipated that we would have a long-term relationship, you know, together, and, and now she was falling in love with somebody else, and so this was the beginning of my junior year of college, and so I grew bitter towards her. We were still on the same campus, and so I would see her, and it just grew bitter. I mean, if I would go to church and be going somewhere, and there would be a, a message on something about speaking truth or being kind or something like this, I would take notes and circle it, and then I would mail the outline to her with a note saying, you should have read this. Because we all appreciate things like that. I mean, don't you appreciate that? Yeah. So wrong. And I would think up ways to insult her, to hurt her back for how badly she'd hurt me. I remember, I mean, I would just think of things like if I'd meet her on campus, I'd be ready to say something like, wow, I hadn't seen you in a while. Didn't even recognize you. Have you put on weight? You know, something like that. It was just kind. Uh, No, it was horrible. But what I didn't realize is, in the middle of all these broodings, I changed. you got to fast forward about nine months. It's the end of the spring semester. 
And a friend of mine does a one-on-one, friend-to-friend intervention. Takes me out to dinner. We're Christian friends. He said, John, I got to confront you on something. I said, what's that? And he goes, I don't know what happened to you, but you've become a bitter, moody person over the last year, and you're no fun to be around anymore. And a bunch of us are concerned about you. What happened? I told him about the girl and the breakup and everything. He read me that same passage from Romans 12, and he said, well, John, you got a choice. You're going to have to let go of this and let God handle this, or you're going to have to keep trying to handle it yourself with your crazy notes and your cheap insults. I'd let God handle it. And so we prayed together in that restaurant right there that night. And I got to tell you, it was like a thousand pounds slid off my back. I didn't have to collect anymore. God was going to make sure. I said, well, I just want her to say she's sorry. And my friend said, well, let, let the Lord convict her of that. You know, you haven't been doing a very good job of it. In fact, you're making it worse. So I let it go. And I got to tell you, there were multiple times when I saw her during that next year and stuff that I'd have to resurrender it. But I knew I'd resurrendered it one day because I woke up one day and I realized I hadn't thought about her in over a month. I mean, if I could talk about it, not get all emotional. And it was important to do that. And by the way, God did settle the score. It was like four, four and a half years later. Debbie and I had gotten married, moved to Houston, Texas. We were living there. I got a letter from her, four pages, single space. I'm sorry, please forgive me. I'm sorry, please forgive me that God had convicted her of what she'd done to me. I wrote her back and said, fat chance. No, I did not. I did not. I did not. I did not. Y'all were just getting really serious right here. Okay. No, but it was well-worded, and she really wanted And she said, I don't even know how I could have been so mean. And that was all I ever wanted her to know in the first place. But you know what makes me really sad is I wasted nine months of my life, bitter and moody. Who knows what kind of opportunities I passed up during that time. Please don't do that. If I could beg you about anything today, please don't do that. Get out this blue piece of paper in a minute and write down people who've hurt me and say, God, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let you handle it. My insults, my uh, circled sermon notes didn't do any good. They just made me bitter. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Surrender to the Lord. He'll help you. Now, it's important when you fill out the blue on this list, you'll see at the bottom of the sheet and also on your outline, it's important to be specific. I forgive blank, and that's the person's name. I forgive John for, and then the blank, and you can go back to the first point we made today again, for unpaid debts, broken promises, harsh words, manipulation, lies, whatever the case may be. I was wrong. I mean, on this, I forgive them, and I will let God settle any score. They were wrong. I will let God settle any score. I will no longer let this situation control my life. And if you're at that point now where you're ready to let go of something, write it down. Make a commitment to the Lord today. Now, a couple of notes. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up here. We're going to spend the next 10, 15 minutes just in worship with the Lord. And we're going to give you some time to fill out these blue sheets. We're going to give you some time also uh, to pray. Um, And so even as they're coming up, let me give you a couple of notes that are important here. 
Romans 12, 18, which is a verse before the passage you read, it says this, Paul said, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, underline as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You can make, try to make amends with people. It doesn't mean they're going to go for it. Even if you get counsel and handle it exactly right, there's no guarantee that people are going to accept your apology. Apologize anyway, as far as is possible with you. You can forgive someone. That doesn't mean they're going to be, want to be forgiven. Again, it took four, four and a half years for that girl to write me. This may take a while. But you can choose to let, I'd already chosen to let go of it four years before that. You can let go of something today. That's your part. Pain is mandatory in this world. Misery is optional. Pain is mandatory in a fallen world. Misery is optional. You and I do not have to let bitterness control us. We can choose to let go and let God handle it. That's up to you and me. One final note. God is working in you. This is Philippians 2.13, giving you the desire and the power, and if you'd circle power, to do what pleases him. Because some of you are saying, well, this is all fine, John, but I can't forgive him. There's no way I'll be able to forgive him. I know. Ask God for help. Talked to a fellow after the last service, and he said, I can't think of one way I could do anything that would be kind to this person because he's made me so mad. And I go, well, let's pray about it and ask God to give you an idea, a good idea. And he goes, whoa, I'm not ready for that. <laughs> I went, okay. So the problem isn't that you don't have a good idea. The problem is you don't want a good idea. Now remember, this starts with me. Do you want God's help? Ask him. Do you want to get wise counsel? We've got great counselors who are part of this church. Do you want to move out of this or do you want to stay trapped in bitterness and unforgiveness? You and I can make a decision today about that. Sometimes it's going to be a hard journey and I understand that. But hard journeys still start with one step. And God will give you the power if you ask him. So I'm going to have a word of prayer for us.